Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. My name is Joe, I'm one of the, uh, the pastoral team here and this morning um, we're going to continue on in our series about the book of Hebrews called God Revealed. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but hopefully you've been already uh, digging in, been reading the book. Thanks, Heath. You've been actually having a look at the letter to the Hebrews in your Bibles. Uh, hands up who's bold enough to say, I actually opened up my Bible this week and read a little bit of Hebrews. And Hey, look at you. Wow. You could have even lied to me then. You didn't. So I appreciate that you uh, didn't. Good on you who did, because this is a really exciting time for us to just dig in as a family. But uh, as, as we kind of go through this journey, as I was thinking about today's passage, as I was prayerfully kind of considering where we go today, I just was struck with that memory. Do you remember those times when you suddenly kind of something is revealed to you, you suddenly realize something and everything shifts? It's like those times in your life, like, you know, that time where you find out that the wrestling's not real. And you're like, what? This changes everything. You know, those times in life, for me, it was that, that time when, I, when music subscription services started. And so I love music. I love listening to music. I used to save up all of my pocket money. And I used to save money to be able to buy CDs and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, I could just pay a little bit a month and I could get, like, all of the music. Like, what? This changes everything. Like this is kind of, have you ever had those moments? Have a think. Have you ever had a time when you've gone, wow, I've now learned something and now everything's changed. For me, actually in my life, most of those times are around God experiences. I remember I grew up in this church. I kind of, it was a mostly good Christian boy for most of my life. And sometimes I worked on my testimony, but, um, you know, I kind of grew up and I remember being, I was actually even almost starting on staff, and I remember going on, on an Encounter God retreat weekend. It's a, a retreat we, we run as part of our streams courses, and I remember God was doing stuff in people's lives. Lots of stuff was happening. Stuff that growing up in a good Baptist church I was terrified of. There's people like experiencing joy in church. What is going on? This doesn't seem right. People were crying, and some of it was good and some of it was bad and there's all sorts of things going on and people were falling down and standing up and raising their hands and lying down and all these things happening and I'm like, God, I'm not okay with this. And I remember people kind of journeying with me through this and being very, very, very patient, more patient probably than I would have been with myself. And I remember one, one night in this time, I'm just staying there and I got to the point where they all wanted me to experience God the way that they'd been experiencing God and I was like, I just don't have it in me. I've got nothing. And so, kind of not wanting to seem stupidly out of place, I kind of assumed the position. They all wanted to pray for me, and they're all praying for me. And I had this point. I said, God, okay, look, I've, just, I've had enough. And I prayed something to the effect of, fine. If you want to do something in my life, then fine. I'm kind of sick of fighting this, if it's a thing. Huge, faith-filled prayer. And next thing I know, God starts to do something in my life and a series of events happen and experiences of God's presence and all of the sudden I'm starting to see things differently. 
God reveals himself to me. He starts to speak to my heart. He starts to show me these true. He takes this Bible that I've spent so much of my life reading and loving, and he starts to make it come alive. I'm starting to see people get healed and get free and get saved. And God's starting to, to speak out the dreams and the hopes that he's put in people's lives through other people. It's all kind of going on. And I realized this changes everything. God's really real. Like I knew he was real before, but he's really real. These are these moments of revelation that we have. And I kind of think as we get to today's passage in Hebrews chapter 2, this is kind of what the, the author of Hebrews wants us to pick up on. There's this place in God that you were as believers. There's this place in relationship you were with him. And then something happened and now that is changed forever. And so now there are things that can't stand any longer. And now there are things that your life can look like and our way of living can change. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to unpack that, right? Does that sound good? Some of us are excited. Some of us are terrified. If you're a good Baptist boy, then you're like me. I don't know if I'm okay with this. But before we get there, that's just the preface. That's just to warm you up and get you a little excited. As we journey through this, I want to challenge you and encourage you and exhort you as the author of Hebrews is doing with his listeners or her listeners. Get into it. Read it. If you weren't here last week, go get the message, a video or podcast and listen to Pastor John's introduction and his, and his look at chapter one of Hebrews. Go and listen and keep up. Read it. Read the book in, in your Bible, in your devotional times. It only takes about 35 minutes to read out loud. So if you worry that you'll fall asleep reading it quietly to yourself, read it to the people that live in your house. Could get a little annoying, but have a go. Get a study Bible, read the notes, unpack it, because Hebrews is like this dense kind of, it's, it's a Bible nerd's book written by a Bible nerd. <laughs> That's why I love it. <laughs> but it's something that you can unpack because there's all this Old Testament stuff in there, and the person who wrote Hebrews knew their Old Testament inside out and back to front and upside down and every which way. And so there's all these allusions and references and quotes, and they'll use a, a few words to, to speak to like a whole big section Get a study Bible and read it. You could even, even get our Bible Streams podcast where Scott and I unpack some of the other stuff because we can't do verse by verse in here. It's not practical. We want to pick the big ideas and the main thrusts and the, the important, significant stuff that this letter can speak to us. And, you know, I'd love to spend two years going through it verse by verse, but this will probably dwindle down to just me sitting by myself reading it if we did that. So I want to encourage you to do some of the heavy lifting yourself. We've got all these resources to help you. In fact, in your River Life News, there are notes that I'm speaking about here. At the back of that, there are discussion questions for you to reflect upon. Maybe in your own quiet times this week, maybe in your life group, wherever. But there's all this resource. So really, as we're going to learn in this passage today, the ball's kind of in your court. We're setting you up and you can smack it through. This is all up to you. Sound good? Some of you are like, this is great. Others are like, I came to church for you to tell me what to do. Because I firmly believe more than anything else that no matter how good a speaker is, no matter how amazing you hear someone teach and unpack it, I think that the letter to the Hebrews or any part of the Bible is going to be most impacting to your life, is going to be most transformational, is going to be most nourishing and challenging and exciting when you sit 
And with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in you and works through you and rests upon you, as you two read this book, this letter together, that's what's going to bring about the change. So we as a, as a preaching team want to lead you to water, but you guys got to sit down and drink. So what we're going to talk about today hopefully will get you thirsty. Will hopefully encourage you and challenge you and help turn this into something that's practical and livable. So let's open up to Hebrews chapter 2. While you're flicking there, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as we open your word today, as we examine what you might have to say to us, what you inspired many, many years ago, but have made true and beautiful and powerful, would you reveal it to us today? Holy Spirit, would you come and take the words declared by Jesus on behalf of the Father, would you make them real to us? Would you make them transformative? Would you make them something that just brings life in our lives? Amen. So Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I'm going to stop there for now. I'm going to push into the next section soon, but we're going to start there. First thing we come to, therefore, little, little Bible nerd tip, if you see a therefore in scripture, what I want you to always think from this point forward for the rest of your life, if I see a therefore in the Bible, I've got to ask myself, what's it there for? The author's referring to something else. Think of this as kind of the ancient Jewish equivalent on previously on Hebrews. This is what it is. You've got to go back and see the recap. You've got to go back and see what have they talked about before now because this is building on what has come before. So we know that in chapter 1, the author of Hebrews has unpacked this idea that God has always been speaking. God has always been reaching out to be in relationship with his people, with humanity that he created. And he has done this he has communicated most clearly and most powerfully and finally and ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate revelation, better than Old Testament prophets, kings, priests, better than the angels who we know from places like Genesis are constantly going backwards and forwards between the realm of humanity and the realm of God and, and connecting the dots for us, better than all of these things that have come before there's no better way of knowing God than through Jesus. And this constant contrast is something that's really significant for you to get your head around. So the first thing you need to remember is when you read therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Some specific tips for reading Hebrews is there's this constant comparison and contrast. It's got a very specific kind of Hebrew literary name, which I probably would butcher pronouncing and I won't burden you with it, but there's this whole idea that the author is saying, if this is true, then how much more is this true? So you've got to keep that in your head because really for the rest of the book, the author is, is really bringing this out. If this is true, if we have acknowledged this to be true, how much more then is this? 
If this, then how much more of that? And he's taking or she is taking what's been spoken and understood before and taking it further. So the author says, pay close attention. Pay close attention. This is, in fact, the first of five warnings that comes up through this book. And, and as these warnings come up, we should pay attention. There's something significant to say here. And, and as we find out, this passage puts the responsibility of listening and hearing and responding firmly in the hands of the hearer. And today, that's you and me. You can't read or hear this section and not step into that warning. So what's the warning? Well, let's have a look at our if-then statement, right? If this is true, then how much more is that? So the author says, if this old way of knowing God that dates, dates back thousands of years that you as, as Jewish believers have always observed this way of knowing God, if that is true and had certain ramifications if you broke that relationship and that way of knowing God, then how much more do we need to pay attention to God's ultimate revelation? And I think what the author is trying to draw our attention to and draw our hearts towards and trying to challenge and warn us with is the simple idea that if what God has already revealed is so very precious, that the nation of Israel would be constantly confronted and compelled to forsake everything else and everyone else and come back to the one true God, as good or bad as they did that. If the revelation of God to the ancient Hebrew people was so precious and so valuable and so earth-shatteringly changing for them, how much more precious is the very presence of God in Christ come to reveal this new way of understanding? Because in the old setup, God said things like, you should make one day a week holy to me, a Sabbath rest, a day where you don't do any work, where you don't light fires, where literally you don't do anything but be with me. You hear that in Exodus. He, he lays it down pretty clearly. But then when we get to like the book of Numbers, where the people have been struggling with knowing what God's like, and they've been stepping away, which we'll come to in a second in this passage. But as they've been drifting from the Lord, they forget the importance. And so one poor guy's out doing his weekend chores, just collecting sticks, picking up stuff, forgetting that there's supposed to be a special moment, a special day a special thing that the whole nation of Israel has set aside. And he's just regarding something precious as something basic and common. And it cost him his life. He broke the relationship and the ramifications were immense. And the author of Hebrews is going, if that's what the old, inferior, lesser thing is about, then I don't even want to begin to imagine what it looks like if we mess this up. What does, it, what does it mean if the old way revealed by angels had such swift and, and intense retribution? What are we going to do if we stuff this up? The author gets to much later in the book, which I don't have to preach, so I'm really relieved about that. But a whole section where he unpacks this or she unpacks this in detail talking about the crucifixion of Christ. And if we reject it, what's left to deal with our sins? But that's not where we're going today. 
Phew. But what I wanted to do, or what I want this passage to do is, is, is kind of stir up in you, wow, this is actually something really important and significant. Because I, I, maybe you're sitting there thinking, but you guys always talk about God being good, God being gracious, God being loving, and he is. Constantly and consistently and without fail. So loving, in fact, that he himself came to step into this reality, this earth, this brokenness that we stuffed up as humans, that we have, we have corrupted and, and kind of torn up. He said, I love you so much that I'm coming to be with you. And through my own death and resurrection, I will make a way for us to be together again. What happens if we reject that? And the author's writing to believers already. I believe God will forgive you 70 times 7 and more because that's what he set up for us to do. But why would we risk forsaking so great a salvation? Why would we risk cheapening grace? That's what the Lord's just been convicting me about. How much do I treat what he's given us as precious? And how much do I kind of go, oh, thanks, God. Oh, I dropped it. Oh, it's all good. That's no, all good. I dusted off. You'll forgive me. Oh, no. Drop it. Kick it. Oh. How important is it that we look after this salvation that he's given us, that we treat as precious the sacrifice of God himself on our behalf? The author doesn't really say what we're going to escape if we do this properly. <laughs> like a, it's just kind of this thinly veiled, vague threat. And I'm like, oh, I don't respond well to threats. <laughs> but the author goes on from there. What it does for me when I read this is it makes me glad I'm not a first century Jewish Christian. Anyone else in the room happy about that? Yeah, that sounds like a tough gig. <laughs> They've just come out of this way of knowing God. That was all about bringing an animal into the temple, sacrificing it, cooking it, giving some of it to the priests as an offering and, and some of it for them, like ancient barbecue. And apart from maybe Pastor Ryan and, and Pastor Nick and a few others who just love their barbecue and are constantly bringing biltong and jerky into the office, apart from them, I think the rest of us are happy to not have to do that. Right. Everyone loves the smell of barbecue, but thanks for not bringing your animals into church this morning. We appreciate that. Like, I'm glad that's not me. But the author makes this point. They say, don't drift away. Pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And I believe today that's the real challenge that God's placing before each and every one of us. You've heard. Don't drift away. Because it's declared at first by the Lord, the next part of the passage. Jesus came. He said, there's no other way to the Father except through me. He is the, the, as we know from chapter 1, the ultimate revelation of who God is. And Jesus has spoken it. And then the author of Hebrews has heard eyewitnesses tell of this Jesus. The author and, and the community that they're writing to weren't eyewitnesses. They weren't necessarily in, in Israel even. We don't know where they were. Maybe Italy, maybe Palestine. We don't know. But they weren't eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Christ. So they've had it passed on to them. 
Jesus said it. Eyewitnesses passed it on. The disciples, the 70, maybe the 120, maybe just the crowd who were there. And people know about who this Jesus was. And I think for some of us, that will be enough. This, this knowledge, this information that God's spoken it out. We have the Bible and that's kind of the same thing for us. We have this, this declared word of God. But this is where the author of Hebrews is really mixing it up. And this is kind of the, the second part of the foundation. If, if Jesus is the ultimate revelation. And then, if this is not just information, but this is revelation. This isn't just a spoken word that we've heard of, but... The rest of verse 4, attested by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed by God according to his will. The author of Hebrews is saying, this isn't just information that you can be argued in and out of. You've seen it with your own eyes. You've seen the power and the presence of God at work. And it's an invitation to intimacy. And it's an invitation to know him as real, not just to know about him, but to love and experience him. And if you do that, and then you walk away, whoa. It's enough to make you knock your mic off. That's the closest I can do to a mic drop. Thank you, Ryan. I'll laugh that loud for you next week, I promise. <laughs> this isn't just information. This isn't something you can go, well, that sounds convincing, but this is more convincing. What the author of Hebrews is trying to get you to understand and me to understand is that we've heard it. But now we've seen it and we've experienced it. We've been in his presence and we've seen the fruit of his presence. So don't drift away. Don't become lukewarm. Don't miss the opportunity to step in. In verse 5, in the next few verses, the, the author starts to then unpack some Old Testament, some Psalms, in fact, and talks about this, this idea that humanity is actually the ones who are, who are going to be inheriting the world to come. It's not the old way of angels. It's not the old way that God's done things. It's actually you and me under the lordship of Christ, under the power of the Holy Spirit are going to be the ones who are actually being his people in the world, presenting the reality of who he is. Because ultimately, as it says in verse 8 or 9, Jesus is the ultimate son of man, the ultimate expression of humanity, the finest version of one of us. And if everything's been put under his authority, then he passes that to us. And I feel like the author is saying, don't drift away. Don't make this just information. The lived experience of the presence of God partnered with the word of God as declared in scripture. This is all to prepare us and to compel us and to draw us into intimacy with him so that we are ready for what he's called us to be. So don't drift away. Pay much closer attention. Not just close attention, but closer attention. Take what you've got and ratchet it up a little bit. There's room for all of us in that. This idea of drifting away, it's a nautical term. It's, it's not widely used in scripture, 
But there's this idea that you've, you've kind of, you've, you've pulled your boat into the inlet, but your anchor's not secure on the bottom. And so you're busy doing something else and kind of, you look up from your work and the boat has drifted from where it was supposed to be anchored. And I can look at my life and I can look at the, the stuff that goes on around me and the, the challenges and the threats and the, the, just the opportunities that I have. And I can so easily be looking down at the busyness of my work and I forget that if my anchor is not solid in him, I can just drift. And before I notice, I look up and it's been a week since I read my Bible. I can look up and it's... It's been a few weeks since I went to life group and was in that community of people who will love on me. I can look up and we find ourselves somewhere else. Pay much closer attention to this relationship you have, this great salvation of Jesus in our lives because the last thing we can afford to do is drift away. For some of us, all of this stuff might be a bit much. Maybe you're like, a, I, I like the word, but this presence and this miracles and these signs and wonder stuff, it's a bit much. Or maybe you're the other way and I, I love God's presence and I love seeing the stuff. It's a bit hard to read the word. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I like what Peter says when he talks about Paul. He says, he writes long sentences and I don't really understand them. Feels like that some days. But what keeps us anchored is when the spirit and the truth, when word and deed, when the experience and the revelation and the knowledge of God come together, that keeps us anchored in him and and stops us from drifting away. It invites us. And I believe this is the message for us that couldn't be more timely and couldn't be more important and it couldn't be more significant in this day, in this hour, at the cusp of what the Lord is inviting us into, not just as a church and as a community, but as the church in our nation that is so ready. Another convincing argument is not really going to drown out the other ones that are already there. Another display of power without intimacy is just going to be, yeah, we've seen this before. I didn't like that the last time it came through. But authentic, humble intimacy with God that looks like a revelation of his love, that is sacrificial, that is supernatural in its ability to love, is what the world, I think, is looking for. Don't drift away into just the head knowledge of God. Don't drift away into... Great big lofty ideas that don't have any grounding in reality. Don't drift away into impersonal power and displaying it for our own gain. Don't drift away from the centrality of Jesus and an intimate relationship with him. Makes me think of Jesus when he's talking to the Jews who are opposing him in John chapter 5. I actually did think of this. I didn't read it in the commentary. And they come to him. And they question who he is. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys know the scriptures. You search them daily, thinking that in them you will find eternal life, but it is them that speak to me, yet you don't come to me for life. They drifted away. It makes me think of Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus himself is, is speaking to the church in Laodicea. He says, there's a problem, guys. You're lukewarm. It's kind of the food equivalent of drifting. 
You're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. You're not in any kind of supernatural state. You're not something other than just drifting. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. This is not what I died for and not what I sent my spirit to you for. This is not what it's about, guys. This, this is drifting. And I hear these things and I think, God, I am so thankful that I've seen with my own eyes and I've heard with my own ears and I've felt in my own life the reality of who you are because that is the anchor for my soul. It's the anchor for my life. It's the reality I cannot be argued in and out of it. I cannot be convinced it's impersonal because, God, you've revealed the secrets of my heart to me. You've spoken life to me and it's come through your word and through your people and through your very presence and everything is now focused on you and you draw me back in. So, church, pay much closer attention. The author wants us to know that Jesus came as flesh and blood, really here, really with us, really doing the things that he said, really, really here. And he invites us to feed ourselves on the testimony of God in his word and in his community. And as I was thinking, God, well, where does this take us? What does this look like for me on a Monday? What does this look like for me when I'm, I'm interacting with the people that you put into my life that are hungry for your presence and, and your, your saving grace and don't even know it yet? And it reminded me of this, this picture in, in Acts chapter 4. And this is where I want to land it for us today. Because I believe there's an invitation to us. There's, there's, there's actually two invitations But in Acts chapter 4, the disciples have been out declaring the goodness and the majesty of God. They've been performing signs and wonders. They've been speaking the good news of Jesus in the temple courts. And and it's causing a ruckus in Jerusalem. And people are freaking out. Because they know how important the old way of knowing God was and how strict the rules were. And you can't break those rules because you're going to get killed. But the disciples of Jesus are going, no, the new and better way. If that was true, how much more is this true? And they get themselves into serious trouble. Serious trouble. And they're hauled in before the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders, they converse and they decide. And eventually a wise voice lets them off just with a beating. And they get back to the place where they're staying. And after being opposed by their their brothers and sisters, their their countrymen, and being opposed by the ones who are supposed to be the the bearers of the revelation of God, the, the, the religious leaders, by being opposed by everyone, they pray this. In Acts chapter 4, 29, 30. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to us, your servants, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I think for me, what wraps up this this warning and this challenge and this invitation is just that exact picture. The external threats that cause us to drift, the internal motivations that are unresolved in the Lord cause us to drift. But I believe like the disciples, after a revelation of Christ, there's an invitation for us to pray, Lord, grant me boldness while you do 
the amazing stuff that's going to switch people's lives around. It's boldness with humility. God, this isn't about me, but I'll be bold enough to declare who you are. And I know you're going to back up the declaration of your words with signs and wonders and miracles, healings and salvations. And I believe today there's an invitation to us as a community for boldness. For a boldness to believe God at his word. It's in black and white. It's in here. But he's in here. And he's in here. And he's out there. He sent his son. And this is the fruit. And so he's sending us. You don't have to have it all. You don't have to be qualified in signs and wonders. You've just got to be bold and humble. And so the challenge to us today is to be bold and humble. For some of you, maybe you haven't experienced God in that way. Maybe all this is just like, what is going on? Who is this guy? And Pastor John was right. He talks a little too fast. (laughs) But maybe you're here today for a reason. Maybe it was for something that you thought it was for, but God's appointed this time for you to be here today so you can hear the truth that he stepped into our reality to set us free, to fill us with his power and presence and an intimate relationship with him that we will be a demonstration of his love to the world around us. Maybe that's the very thing that your heart's been longing for that you hadn't been able to find anywhere else yet. And if that's you today, then I'm going to give you an opportunity soon to come and meet Jesus properly for the first time. But for the rest of us, God's calling us. God's knocking us. Will you be bold and humble for me? Will you be my people? Will you hear the message of Hebrews 2, 1 to 4? Will you pay much closer attention, not drift away, but be bold in my name? Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.